Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. Hey, before we jump in, uh, I, I, I said this first service as well, but um, if you don't have kids that are, are this age group, or even if you do, let me just kind of tell you the cool thing. Um, a lot of times we come in here and we do our thing, but it is so fun to see and hear what happens down that hallway. Uh, Pastor Monica truly does love your kids and truly wants the best for them. And um, as, as I was walking out the door yesterday, one of the teachers came by and I was like, you're still here? She goes, yeah, we had 22 kids in the K-5 room yesterday or today. And I was like, 22 kids in the K-5 room uh, was, was that she goes, we have to figure out some more space. And I don't know about you, but that's a good problem to me. Uh, I want kids in church because I hated church as a kid. Anybody else with me on that one? Nobody. I hated church. It was, it was not fun. Uh, but I'm glad that we have uh, kids that I love being here. They're excited to be here. And so uh, if you see anyone on the kids team, just let them know that you, you appreciate them because uh, they truly do love your kids. And it's awesome. Good morning, Bridge Church. I don't uh, typically wear hoodies on, uh, on Sunday mornings. Uh, there's kind of a main reason for that. It's not that we're that formal of a church. It's more so that... Um, if you're bringing a friend with you or a family member, I need all the help I can get to look mature enough to do this. Uh, and so hoodies don't do me any favors. Now, I'm wearing this one for, for two reasons today, a main reason and a vain reason. So I'm going to start with the vain reason. The vain reason is I grew up in a town known as Sartell, Minnesota in central Minnesota. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. It is a great place. Uh, so great that we have some of the best sports teams in the area. Uh, there's other towns known as, I don't know, Little Falls uh, that maybe isn't as gifted in, in this arena. So um, r- there's a certain person on our staff uh, that really despises when I wear anything Sartell-related. And he uh, has this coming for him. So uh, Riley literally hates Sartell. Like, like, like he goes, literally, there's few things in life I hate. Sartell is one of them. And so I naturally took it upon myself to wear this in front of all of you and let everybody know how superior Sartell is to Little Falls. Uh, there he is right over there. Okay. I was making sure he was still in here for that. Uh, But that was the vain reason, okay? Uh, The main reason is because whenever I wear this sweatshirt, it reminds me of my hometown. I love my hometown. Uh, My neighborhood, I grew up in the same house, 0 through 18. So every time I'm back in Sartell, I go past my house and, and just make sure it's still standing. And I drive past the pond where my buddy caught a largemouth bass on a little hook with a piece of corn on it. Uh, I have look at the corner where I got pulled over. All the things, right? Like, like your hometown just brings all the nostalgia back. Now, some of you might be wondering, did you wear this in high school? And I'm here to tell you, yes, I did. Yes, I did. I got this my junior year of track. And now I could be sitting up here going, you still fit in that sweatshirt? You are tiny. But I'm here to tell you, I still fit in this sweatshirt, baby, all right? Like, not everybody can say that, and I can say that. So I still fit in it, and it's got room, okay? So we got got space here. Now, 
I love my hometown. Every single time I go into it, I'm just flooded with memories and nostalgia and all the rest of it that comes with it. And it will forever hold a special place in my heart. Even if some of the people have moved out and gone and done their own thing, Sartell will always have a special spot in my heart. And I know that my affinity for my hometown is not unique to me. I'm sure many people in here have also felt that. Some of you might be like, I hate my hometown, but I'm glad you have that experience. But Nehemiah is a man who truly did love his hometown. Let me read this to you in the book of Nehemiah. It will be on the screen behind me, but we're going to be living in chapter 1 and chapter 2 today. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. Now, Nehemiah is working in a citadel. If you're not familiar with a citadel like I was, and I had to look it up. A citadel is like a fortress. It's like where all of the military executives live. It's where kind of the royalty and the king lived because he's safe. A citadel is quite literally a fortress. It's where everybody's safe and secure and where all the most important people are. And Nehemiah is there because he serves the king. Now, it says he was in a citadel in Susa. Susa is a city in Persia, which is a different country. Why I'm telling you all of this is because Nehemiah got a great job. He, he, was, he had wealth. He had prosperity. He had favor. He was protected. He was in Persia away from his hometown, which was Israel. So one day he's living the high life in the citadel. And all of a sudden his brother Hanani comes in. He's like, brother, what's up, dude? How's home? How's life? How are things going? Verse 3, they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. How are things here? Right? Like, like He's literally saying, like, how are things? How's life? And his brother Hanani is like, not good. As a matter of fact, that's kind of the reason I'm here. Because things back at home are really bad. Really, really bad. Because what had happened is Israel had, like, they had literally a land flowing with milk and honey. It was the promised land. It was supposed to be epic, everything amazing. But there was one stipulation. God said, you just have to obey me and do what I ask you to do. And they did it. So God's like, all right, have at it. And the people known as the Babylonians came in. They took all of Israel. They were bigger. They were faster. They were stronger. They had more power. They took all of them and brought them to their own land. And then on their way out, they lit a match on the whole fire. And the whole town of Jerusalem went up in flames. They knocked down the walls, did all the stuff. And so what happened is eventually the Babylonians got run out. And so they let people go back into Jerusalem, but only 50,000 people went back out of 3 million. Only 2% went back home to try and rebuild the wall. And that's why Hananiah is saying, things are not good. The wall has been broken down and the people are in disgrace and in trouble. Now, I know sometimes it's hard to capture the essence of what this means, but let me just kind of just paint this picture. A wall around your town quite literally em- like embodied 
your success or your security. Uh, it was quite literally a huge, multi-layer, multi-feet thick wall that kept enemies out. So when your wall was broken down, you had no security, you had no comfort, you had no privacy, you were 110% exposed and vulnerable. Best way I can explain it, when you go home today, your front door has been kicked in, your windows have been shattered, and there's a spray paint on your side and that says, we own you. That's the state of what we're rocking with here in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is in a bad spot. So how does Nehemiah respond? When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days, I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. He hears the news and he sits down and he weeps. And the question I have for us all today on a busy Sunday is when's the last time that we heard something that moved us, something that's heartbreaking, something that's difficult, that made us quite literally heartbreak enough to cry? Things that maybe don't directly impact us. Because here's what I do know. We are really accustomed to hearing bad news, aren't we? If you have a phone... It doesn't take you long or hard to find a story that is quite literally heartbreaking and heart-wrenching. You turn on the news, within minutes you'll hear things that you couldn't possibly imagine. You go on Facebook, you hear about something horrific, about a little kid or about an adult or about a couple. It doesn't matter. There's always things happening and we get so accustomed to bad news, we kind of just get numb to it, don't we? We get numb to horrible, heartbreaking things. Until you hear something that's so moving that it moves you over and over and over again. For me, it's human trafficking. There are times I, but human trafficking just makes me weep because I can't imagine what it's like when I'm tucking my little girl into to bed and I'm praying for her at night, how many other dads across the world don't get to because their daughter or their son's being abused every single day. That's enough to make me weep. That's enough to make me cry, even though it doesn't directly impact my life. I believe we are called as people to have a heart like Nehemiah that says, even if it doesn't impact me, I'm moved by that. And he wept. He wept, he wept, he wept. He was broken. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed. See, I believe that there are things that are difficult and we do get numb to it. But here's where I think we get it wrong. And here's where I think that we as people, we as people in the church can and will live differently. Things are bleak. Things are difficult. But as we're going to see in Nehemiah, if you have the Lord in your life and the Lord is with you, you are never, ever defeated. You might be pushed back. You might be oppressed. But when we believe and trust and ascribe to a Lord of the impossible, we are never out of the game. And we are called to live with a purpose. For the last four weeks, we've been talking about prayer. We've been talking about why we pray. We've been talking about how we pray. We've been looking at when do we pray. And today we're going to close it with what do we pray? Because as you're going to see, Nehemiah does something. But before he lifts a finger to do anything in action, he lifts his eyes to the sky and he prays. Before he does anything, Nehemiah prays. And he prays because he was moved. He prays because the Lord had put something upon him for his people that made him care. 
It was his hometown. People he cared about. People he knew. It was his hometown. And even though he was living in a penthouse suite in the Citadel, with unlimited food, favor, and security, he couldn't muster the fact that his people, his aunts and uncles, his neighbors were sitting there exposed. So he prays. And let me show you what he prays. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins that we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. But remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you're unfaithful, I'll scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and mighty hand, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. It's a long prayer. It's one of 14 documented prayers in the book of Nehemiah. But something about this prayer has stuck out to me and changed me when I read it a while back. He prays for four things. The first thing he prays for is God, the great and awesome God. When we pray, if we only go into prayer with our needs and we forget the fact that God is who he says he is, we're going to miss the mark. Because it's easy to want something so bad that you just, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying, that we forget that we're praying to a great and awesome God. And when it says great, it's not mean like, hey, how's your day? Great. That's not the great we're talking about. We're talking about Great, majestic, large, huge. He is a great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love. God is faithful. So he prays the character of God. God, you're a great God. I'm fixating on that today. But then he says, would you forgive us? Forgive us, we Israelites. Because Nehemiah is going, hey, I screw up too. I make mistakes. I have my own stuff. But we as human beings, we messed up. It's collective. You're not better or worse than I am. We're just in this whole thing together. So God, would you forgive us? I also love how Nehemiah is like, hey, lend me your ear. Give me your eyes. I want to know you're listening to me. Because the third thing he prays is, remember the instruction you gave your, Moses, your servant Moses. Saying, if we're unfaithful, you'll scatter us. But if we turn back to you, you'll bring us back. Remember what you said. Remember your faithfulness. But that's the last piece, everybody, that this is really, I think, what was the cornerstone for this entire series. Was this last verse 
of his last sentence of his first prayer. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Nehemiah was not content to say, all right, Lord, I'm praying for my hometown. Just I pray that whatever's happening over there, you sort it out. Whatever's going on, have your way. Just do whatever you want to do over there. That's not what Nehemiah prayed. Nehemiah prayed, give your servant success today by granting him favor. What Nehemiah is essentially praying is, God, I know you can fix what's happening in Jerusalem. I know that you can do the impossible over there. I know you can do it. But today, give me success and favor. Use me, God, to accomplish what you want me to accomplish. So here's the deal, everybody. We do have a kind of spirit of defeat as a human race in 2024, where we feel like we're at the mercy of the universe and we're at the mercy of what happens to us because our world is crazy and busy. But we serve a great and awesome God that has put you on this planet for a reason. I don't care if you were planned or unplanned. I don't care if you were born into a great family or you were adopted into a broken family. I don't care if your life has been seamless and perfect and great or if it's been a rocky roller coaster. Regardless of who you are and where you come from, there is a God who has put you on this planet for a very specific reason. And we are called to step into that through his help, through his leading and his direction. You want to know what to pray for and what to pray? Pray a prayer of praise. Pray his character, but then pray a prayer that says, God, use me. Use me for what you intend to use me for. Nehemiah, his heart was broken, but it was so broken that he was saying, use me, send me. I want to go back to verse four, because before he prayed, he did something called fasting. It's something I don't think we've talked about a lot here at the bridge. I know as a general rule, uh, it doesn't get talked about a whole lot. But fasting is something you do every single day. At 10 p.m. when you put your bowl of ice cream in the sink, until 6.30 a.m. when you have your Pop-Tarts in the morning, you fast. If you've never had a diet of ice cream and Pop-Tarts, highly recommend it. Gets you this physique just like this. It's awesome. Fasting is something that intimidates us. And I think sometimes as pastors, we get scared to preach about it because fasting's not always easy. And that's kind of the point. Fasting is a time of abstaining from something for a specific time and a specific purpose to seek God through prayer. It's a time where you're saying, I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to spend the time I would be doing this to spend time praying and spending time with God. And there's a few different ways you can do that. You can fast social media. You can fast TV. I'd recommend starting after today because the Ravens are going to beat the Chiefs. It's going to be awesome. But you take something that you would normally do and you abstain from it to spend time with God. And in the Old Testament and the New Testament, a lot of times they did it to be connected with mourning as a way of saying, I'm broken, I'm discouraged, I need God's help. Or it was partnered with a time of, I am going to spend this time seeking God through difficult things and difficult circumstances. Because fasting, when you do that, can be difficult at times. 
My senior year of college, I was in a moment of uncertainty. I really needed God's direction, I needed God's clarity, and I wasn't quite getting it. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to fast. I'm going I'm, I'm to do something uncomfortable to seek God and really press in and say, God, I need your help and direction here. So I did a Daniel fast. If you're unfamiliar with a Daniel fast, a Daniel fast is 21 days where you eat only fruits and vegetables. No sugar, no meat, no McDonald's. If you know me, you know. It would have been easier to not eat for 21 days than to live on bananas and apples and green beans. It was horrible. It was so difficult. By day three, I was like, Oh, I would literally kill for a double quarter pounder with cheese right now. Large Coke, large fry, the whole gamut. I need something in the worst way. But it's all good because I got apples. It's just as good. If I close my eyes and plug my nose, it might kind of taste. No, it's not. This is horrible. It's not fun. It's not easy. But that's exactly the point, right? Because when you fast, what you're saying is, God, even though I'm hungry, even though I'm uncomfortable, I desire you more. I desire to be closer to you more than I have a desire to be fulfilled in my body. There's a reason it's specific. We're not trying to die out here, but we're trying to stretch ourselves in such a way that we say, God, I want to be close to you. I want to connect with you. I want to hear from you. For some days, I mourned. I cried. I wept. My heart was broken for my people. But then I fasted and prayed. And then I said this, and he jumps into his prayer. Nehemiah knew God was going to use him for something powerful, but he knew it had to start on his knees. We're so good at fixing things. We're so good at when we just need to do something, we just are going to do it ourselves. He said, what to you at work? What's his name? When Riley hears about this, he's going to go and beat that guy up because I'll be at home, right? We hear things, we want to fix them. Or we hear, like, this is going on with our, school, with our kid at school, so I'm going to march myself down there and give them a piece of my mind. This is going on at work, so I'm going to go in there and I'm going to give them everything they deserve. We hear these things, and our immediate knee-jerk reaction is to fix it, is to jump in, is to act. And more likely than not, we end up making it messier because we don't take the time to stop and pray and ask God what he would have us do. See, Moses did. Or Moses, Nehemiah did. He took the time to stop and pray. But let me show you the next piece of it. The last part of, of verse 11 is, I was cupbearer to the king. Remember what I told you about his great job? It was a good job. It was also risky. A cupbearer to a king, whenever somebody would bring him choice wine or something to drink, he didn't want to get poisoned. Okay, someone tried to have it out for him. So a cup bearer would bring him his cup, but before he would give him the cup, he would drink it. And if there was poison in it, then they knew he would die. How about that for workman's comp? So he brings him the cup. And then we'd flip over to chapter two. 
In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. And I was very much afraid. That first little part of it, I don't want you to miss. Because when you just read things, you kind of just hop over them. But in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, then we remember when he started praying in chapter 1, the month of Kislev. Now, I'm sure a lot of you guys are very familiar with ancient Hebrew months, so I know that's no surprise. But Kislev was kind of like late summer, early fall. Nisan was early spring. Basically, what happened is for four months, Nehemiah prayed and nothing changed. For four months, he prayed that prayer that I just read to you earlier in the chapter. For four months, he prayed and nothing happened. Sometimes you get discouraged when you pray because things are not going the way that you want. And it starts to kind of make you question, is God even hearing me? Is this even working? Is God even real? Because for four months, Nehemiah prayed. And he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed this over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, and nothing changed. And he could get discouraged, but let me show you why I think that that four months of prayer was very intentional. That four months of prayer was very, very impactful. Because what happens is he says he was scared because if he is sad and he doesn't do exactly what the king wants him to do, it's that quick for the king to say, hey, okay, well, you're too depressing. You're gone. I'm going to kill you. It is a bad business serving a king in this day and age. But I want to show you what happened. This is so cool. He says this, I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. Before I move on, Nehemiah was a man of prayer. For four months, he had his time sitting on his knees and praying. But when he's in front of the king, it says he prayed. He didn't go off into the corner and close his eyes and bow his head. That was not that kind of prayer. This is the, in the moment, God, give me help here. Show me what I should do. Prayer is not meant to just be structured in the sense that you sit down. Prayer is an ongoing conversation with God like we talked about last week. But here's what all comes to a head. I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah, where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Verses 6 and 7 are basically Nehemiah is saying, here's what I need from you, king. Give me permission to go back to my hometown. And here's what I need. I need your permission. I need letters that give me safe passage so the enemies, people that I have to go through aren't going to kill me. And I need supplies. 
to rebuild this thing. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. See, for four months he prayed. And for four months he asked God to use him, to grant him favor. And nothing changed. But I believe it's because those four months were preparation for Nehemiah. Those were preparation months of him waiting and asking God and expecting God to answer his prayer. Four months where he knew when I get this opportunity before the king, here's what I'm going to need from you. I'm going to need this. I'm going to need this. I'm going to need this. I think so many times God doesn't answer our prayer the exact way we want it to in the exact time we want so we don't think he's listening. But I think because God loves you and because God sees you and he knows what is on on part for your plan he's not going to give you what you ask for now because you're not ready for it you might think you are but his infinite wisdom he knows this is not the right time for you you need to be patient I got some things I'm working on before I give you what you're asking for prayer might be discouraging to you right now, you might be in between Kislev and Nissan but don't be discouraged prayer does change things. Sometime I'm going to do a whole sermon series on the book of Nehemiah because there's so much in here. But Nehemiah goes. He does it. He builds in a time that was unbelievably fast. Time only God could have done. But it didn't come without issues. It didn't come without problems and setbacks. It came with external opposition. His haters, his doubters, his enemies said, you can't build that. You can't possibly do that. As he led his teams, his teams got discouraged. We're tired. We can't do this anymore. We're scared. We can't do this. We got to give up. And Nehemiah said, no, no, no. Remember who God is. He's with you. But through the whole thing, there's one thing consistent from chapter 1 to chapter 13.
face to face with Jesus in eternal heaven. As much as it scares me, as much as it's not comfortable to say, it's the truth. The truth is, if they don't believe in Jesus, they're going the other direction. They're going down to hell for eternity. And I know we don't like to hear that, because that's not comforting. But it's the truth. And it's why Nehemiah was so adamant about going when he was going, because we need to keep everything going. When I think of St. Francis, it's not just that there are people who don't know Jesus. It's the fact that there are people that I know, family members of yours, that are gripped by addiction. They want to be free. You want them to be free because the source of this addiction is tearing them at the seams. It's tearing their family apart. They want to be done, but they can't. They can't get off. And I'm believing that when we pray, those addictions can be busted. There is a mental health crisis in our world, in our state, in this community. I have friends, pastors all over the state, throughout the country. And when they hear about the mental health that's happening in St. Francis, they're amazed because they don't even have the same mental health issues that we do in a town that's 20 times our size. God wants to do something in St. Francis, Oak Grove, East Bethel. There are kids in our school district, kids in your house. There are friends of yours. There are people that you know, people that you're walking through. There's diagnoses that are so grim that you're on borrowed time and you're sitting here going, I don't know what to do. Don't shortchange the power of prayer because Nehemiah built a wall against all opposition. A product should have taken him three years. He did it in 52 days. How? How? Prayer? Fasting? He welcomed the great and awesome God on the side. I don't have to tell you about the issues you know. You live in our world. I'm just sick of getting beat around by it. I'm ready to start walking to start asking God to move and say, God, give me success today. Give me favor as my feet hit the ground to give me opportunities to talk to people, to love people, to share my testimony, to share my faith. God, give me favor. Favor is what we're praying for. In our church, in our community, in our town. Here's what we're going to do as I get you guys out of here today. Tomorrow starts the bridge blitz. Monday until Sunday, I'm asking our entire church to join with me in prayer, very strategically. One day, what we're at one word per day that we're strategically praying for. It might be breakthrough. It might be forgiveness. It might be wisdom. It might be vision. But there's one word we're asking everyone who's willing to pray with us through each day. There's going to be a sheet of paper in the right when you go. I'd really encourage you, if you're willing to step out, We've been talking about prayer for four weeks. Now it's time to put it into action. Would you pray with us for each of those things? And don't just pray for that. I'd encourage you to keep on praying. But we're also going to fast. It's up to you how you want to fast. Some of you can't fast food multiple days in a row, and that's fine. Some of you could fast lunch throughout this week and spend that time praying. 
Others of you know that Netflix is awesome, but it drains your time. So you may say, hey, for a week, I'm going to get uncomfortable. I'm going to stop looking at, I'm going to watch, stop watching Netflix this week. I'm going to take my time and I'm going to pray. It's up to you what it looks like. But do something that stretches you to spend time in prayer. And let me tell you one thing. If you don't physically want to, you can't, that's okay. This is not law that you have to do it. We're just encouraging you to stretch yourself and put yourself out there to pray. But then what I'm most excited about is on Thursday. Thursday night, here, from 6 to 8. I'm going to have some lights on. I'm going to have some music playing in the background. This place is going to be open. If you want to come in here and pray, you can. If you want to come in here and ask for prayer and pray with me, you can. But this place is going to be open for you to pray. I can personally say, you can ask our staff, you can ask those who've been in this place during it. Something happens when you come in outside of ours and spend time with the Lord. So wherever you're at, I encourage you to come and be a part of it. Come and go as you please. Stay as long or short as you want. Come be a part of prayer night this week. Church, prayer is so critical. I've gotten so many texts over the last few weeks. Healings breakthroughs, all these things. Believe it. When we pray to a God, we're not putting something in the sky and just hoping it works. We're asking and believing a living God to come down and intervene. So pray with me this week if you could do that. I'm asking our church to join me in prayer. Would you pray with me today as we get you out of here? Father, I worship you. And I thank you for each person in this room. God, I don't know each individual story. I don't know each individual struggle this week. But God, what I do know is that those that are in this room, those that are watching online, they're here on purpose. So God, today, I pray for the needs that are in this room. I pray for the marriages. pray for the families, the kids. pray for the addictions, the mental struggles. I pray for the weights. And I ask, God, that you would move in our midst. God, you are a great and awesome God. And we remember your faithfulness. We remember who you are. And we ask that you would do something powerful and unique. But God, today as we go out of this place, I pray we'd go out with a spirit of victory, knowing you're not done, knowing the battle's not over, knowing that we're not going to come out on the poor end of this thing. We're believing, we're asking, we're trusting God that you are going to do a new work in us, through us, in our town, in our city, in our church, in our world, Lord. And I ask for favor that you would give us success to do exactly what it is that you've called us to do. You're a good God. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're excited for a miracle that's going to happen, so would you put your hands together? I'm going to be up here if you want prayer right here, right now. But everybody else, please say hello to somebody on your way out. If I haven't got to say hello to you, hi. Uh, tell Riley how great Sartell is. Have a great week, and uh, we'll see you guys on Thursday and Sunday. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.